Daddy Squared, the Gay Dad Podcast with Alex Megan and Young Daniel. Hello and welcome to another episode of Daddy Squared, the Gay Dad's Podcast. I'm Jan. I'm Alex. And uh, you know, one of our listeners wrote me this week about how hard it is for him to find children's clothing. For uh, himself? For, no, for children. <laughs> Sorry. That say dad. Like he says, like, they're all, it's a mommy star, mommy's angel. And I remember that when I used to shop for the kids, I used to see that too. Like it's harder to see something that that's daddy's little whatever. Well, I guess the presumption is that mommy is the one doing the shopping. It's and she's actually, like, I'm not buying that stuff for daddy because he's not here doing the shopping. Yeah, Something. I thought at the beginning, like he's from Cambridge, yeah. the, the guy who wrote Anthony. Yes. Um, and it's also, I saw it in LA. I wonder if it's like everywhere. If it's I, like one there. has to assume that it's, look, look, when you're creating clothing and you're merchandising, this is the oldest story in the book, right? It's the reason why all of the advertisements on television for like home stuff was always targeting women. And women always looked like they were put together and great and that their husbands were bumbling fools. It upsets me. I, I understand, but that's where we are. And I got to tell you what, the businesses are not stupid. The minute they see, the minute they see a lot more men shopping for children's clothing, all of that is going to change. I try to accelerate the change. How are you going to do it? I started on Instagram this week. Uh, this movement of right. dads who recommend stuff mm-hmm. um, that are that are, does not say mommy on anything right. that is like LGBT inclusive whatever right. or or general you know I ask people to to send me stuff that they like to use Got and it. I want to check it and you know sure. we're gonna check it we're gonna send it to our friends and if uh, we all agree that this is good we're gonna say this is daddy squared approved yes which means like the gay dads love it yes right? I think this is great I think it's <laughs> Absolutely, we will dominate. I think that's an awesome idea. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the gay dads should be a power force. Plus, I we're agree. cool. We are so, so cool. you know, Plus, once you we approve believe. something, the moms will say, oh, yeah, we want that well, right. too. So I have this theory, which is probably unpopular, that says that women women really want to know what the gay dads think yeah. is cool. And then they'll be like, oh, well, I got to do that because the gay dads say it's cool. <laughs> totally. So, you know, I'm probably living in a fantasy, but that's what I want to believe. Today we're getting coached, Alex. Yeah, Parenting- and, and speaking about coaching, before we get right. into being coached, I wanted to just talk for a minute about what's been going on and how it affects daddying for me i'm having a very very hard time with some stuff at work right now alex had a tough week i had a really tough week at work if it's a normal challenging day annoying day you get home and and you're tired you can still kind of bring it with the kids and do what you have to do but very rarely you run into a day or a week where things are so bad that you realize like I'm not going to be an acceptable influence on my children right now. And I have to say that it's so it's so hard for me to have to, for two reasons. One, to have to turn to my husband and say, I can't do this right now. You have to do it for me. That's hard because it makes me feel guilty about about what I'm asking you to do. And it also makes me feel guilty because... You know, my children see me and they see me like slide away into another room of the house and disappear. 
because I'm not presentable. I'm not going to be a decent influence on my children right now. And uh, I'm used to I'm used to being very forgiving of myself. <laughs> but in this thing, I have felt incredibly guilty over the last day or two. So on top of the thing that you feel bad about for Mark, you are this. Yeah. Oh yeah, God. no, I really do. And I thought about last night what it must be like to be a single parent, gay yeah. or straight, and realizing that when those days happen to you, which, of course, they happen to everybody, you're stuck. Like, that's it. You you have to find a way to do it. Yeah, single dad, it. I don't know how they do it. I mean, I think that everybody needs some sort of uh, like community around them. You know, they yes. say it takes a village. They yes. know what they meant when they said no, that. No, I, I, I completely... Um, I think that the, part of the village is to, to get you through these days. Yeah. And I think that the more friends you have and the more people you can talk to, you know, it's much better than sitting at home and wallowing in your own... Opinion. Well, you're talking about the way I solve my, my issue that I'm dealing with, but I'm talking about the way I handle being a parent while I'm working on whatever the issue yeah, well, is I'm dealing with. And I think those are two different things. We're lucky that we're two. That's all I can say. And I am lucky that you are two with oh. me. That is clear. So now, hey! So, hey, we're getting coached today. So parenting coach and psychologist Dr. Courtney Bolton is uh, with us today. She's uh, also a child development expert, and she works with parents. I think it's going to be very interesting because we kind of took it personally to like our problems. Hopefully you guys can relate to it. Yeah. Um, we mostly talked about tantrums and about lying. I took it very hard when uh, Adam lied to me. Yeah, but for, for some reason... I cried. I remember. <laughs> I don't know. I expect it. I think that it's so elemental to childhood that to me it's not that big a deal. And I've also always separated lies that are kind of silly child lies from the much heavier and fright more frightening lies and so far our kids have not done any of that kind of thing but uh yeah i think she has some really interesting thoughts on the subject after we recorded the interview we got another letter from from the teacher about the tantrums right <sighs> and it's just in time for this episode because we came up with this system The actual gold star system that you have to earn things in order to buy gifts. Yeah. But we gave it a spin because I kind of consult. Actually, my brother was the one who uh, who said it to me that when Your we were kids. childless brother. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because when we were kids, uh, our mom used the gold star method and it became a competition right. source for both of us. Right. So what I did, it's the spin that... They both have to work together. So each of them has an issue to work on. If they mm -hmm. manage to go through the day helping each other with that issue, each of them earn a star and they're a team. So they have to get a certain amount of stars together. Right. So that uh, kind of eliminates the, the competition. I hope it won't get any other, like, you know, psychology problems. Uh, if you guys think of something, please let me know because I'd love to make it better. Right. If our plan is going to utterly and completely destroy our children, do let us know. <laughs> so far, I don't think they, they understand the part that it's not comp competition. Right, it's right. Like, but they, they will. I mean, the, Although as, I've seen, the more that we go yeah. with it, the more they understand the rules of this game. I've seen glimmers of it. Look, I, I'll, I'll tell you, those of you who, who have kids and have, uh, especially I think if you have twins, but... It, Either way, at the very earliest periods of their lives, you have 
absolutely no expectation that they're going to help each other or help you or help anything. They're only about them. And then there's this moment where you'll see them supporting each other in any way. And when you do, the heart melts like nobody's business. And so one of the things that we've been dealing with is that one of our kids has a tendency to kind of fall apart and have tantrums during the day at school. And when we were talking to them about this, um, we spoke to the other kid and we said, if he's having trouble, will you go and help him? And he said yes, and then he repeated it later on in the day where he said, you know, if you need help, I'll come over and talk to you. And oh my God, that's good stuff. Like, that feels great. Yeah, it's good when when you have, like, each of them has his own issue that the other one doesn't have. So we teach them to kind of support each other on the issue that that they know about right right? so right it's good and you know 20 years 25 years from now when they're both together running a multi-billion dollar corporation they'll still be supporting and listening to this hi ben and adam yeah they'll listen to this they'll come and visit us at shady pines it'll be sweet (laughs) all right let's go to the interview with courtney listen she is great so i'm raising the expectations (laughs) You'll thank me later. Alex, won't you lead us to the interview with your wonderful radiophonic voice? (laughs) Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads Podcast Season 3 is sponsored by Love is Family by ORM Fertility, your gateway to fatherhood. Research begins at loveisfamily.com. Courtney, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I have to say this interview is coming up in a very uh, good timing for me because I feel totally like a mess as a parent over the past week. I see other parents and it seems so easy for them and it seems like they're all perfect and I feel like I'm not. I would say that you are probably the perfect parent for your children right? And for your family. And it is so hard to compare. And we talk a lot about there's, we're in a culture right now of presenting that perfect image of parenting and really posting those things that are wonderful. And even in our moments where it's not wonderful, we like make light of it on Instagram, right? right. So there are those very staged pictures of the kids running With around like, and the pots right. everywhere. And, <laughs> you know, We've it, done that. Right? Yeah. Yes. And, and you're trying to capture that moment of frazzle, but at the same time, we relate to it, and then it becomes endearing and funny and in right. some way still staged, right? What we don't show are those times where we're yelling and then all of a sudden we're regretful and then we're like, oh, but we, you know, we try to create community around that. So yeah. I would say everybody could probably use a little coaching, including a psychologist. Not everybody has a PhD in, in how to raise a child. I, I want to jump straight into the conversation, right? Is that okay with that, you, Alex? Isn't that essentially Good. what we're here for? Um, so let's talk about tantrums because Alex okay. and I are really are, uh, and Alex, you can uh, testify in that, uh, we're having really challenging time with that yeah it's a real thing like one of our kids goes into what i can it's a trance it's not just anger or you know sadness or whatever it's it's a little crazy one of the things that i like to do is actually prevent the tantrum before it happens so when we're in the moment we can correct the behavior pretty easily but the question that I have for both of you is, what is your goal for, for your child? And he's four, is that right? They're yeah. both four. They're yeah. both, right. So we want to think developmentally about this because anything that we do needs to be developmentally appropriate. But we also need to recognize that any reaction that we take is going to have an impact on 
how they weather storms in the future, right? Mm -hmm. So my question is, do you just want to correct the behavior? Or, and this is a loaded question, obviously, right? Uh -huh. Or do you want to teach them to sort of be able to advocate for themselves, to recognize those emotions? You know, is there a, another goal that you would like to see with your children? Well, yeah, that was a loaded question. Totally, right? So, yeah. <laughs> um, so the one that has the tantrums, um, I would like to help him, arm him with the ability to manage that instead of just saying, yeah, let's let's keep the tantrums from happening. Great. So I'm going to ask you to give me an example of one of the most recent tantrums or something that comes up. Often. Okay, good. Sounds like this is not sure. going to be difficult. Uh, because of some previous behavior, he will not have any iPad time today. And he, that was said to him the day before. And today he says, can I have my iPad? Okay. And we say no, because remember that because of what happened yesterday, you won't have your iPad today. And then he'll say, but it was an accident what happened the day before. And then the body starts, the feet start to stamp, you know, and we're on the upswing, right? Um, and for me anyway, it's done at that point. My husband can sometimes derail it before it goes there. I cannot. Once it's on the upswing, it's going to go to full, you know, DEFCON 5. Okay, great. So this is perfect because I really want to start with the day prior which is where we're sort of setting the stage for him to have the tantrum. He's only four years old. So anytime we take away something punitively in the moment, fine. But after the fact, a day later for a four-year-old, it's not really an immediate consequence. So they actually don't register that they're going to be punished 24 hours from now. Four years old, they're still not able to handle not that? Not really. Oh, no. In fact, teenagers aren't really. So if you think about it, um, our brains are still kind of forming, especially the area that is responsible for what we consider our exec executive functioning, so our planning and our organization. So if it doesn't happen in the moment, and if you think about this culture of instant gratification, you see it play out even in adults because right. of the way that our, we're training our brains right now. But even at four, no, it's not. If, if it's later on that day or you know in the moment, maybe. But 24 hours later is a really big leap for them. But there are a couple of other things, and I, I actually like to have them re-earn it, so reset the slate and see if he can demonstrate appropriate behavior rather than taking something away to, in hopes of reducing the behavior that you were seeing the day before. So I'm curious what the behavior was that got the iPad taken away. The thing is with him is that both of our kids are very verbal and they sometimes mimic us or their teachers back to us. Like, this is how it goes. And this is something I say. This is how it goes. You're going to give me the iPad now, and da, 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 da. Or you're going to get a timeout, they say to us. Yeah. But I would point out that, that by the time we get there, he's he lost his, I would argue, he lost his iPad privileges because he was having a tantrum the day before as well. It's essentially a form of of self-perpetuating tantrumness. It's he more or less never loses privileges or gets punished for any reason. I think I'm right here other than when he derails into this kind of lunatic mode. Generally they're good kids. They they're not biting other kids. They're not, you know, they're generally good kids, but when he goes into that state, I think that's when we punish him. Yeah. So there are a few things that I like to do. So I'm a strengths-based psychologist, and I really like to 
give them the opportunity, as I mentioned, to earn things. But the biggest thing is really pointing out when they're demonstrating appropriate behavior. And I love that you said that he mimics your exact phrase. That's perfect because we do teach our kids. And one of the most powerful ways that we teach our kids is by modeling. And the other one is something that we call the attention principle. So what we give attention, what gets a really big reaction from us is what they're going to repeat, right? Mm-hmm. So if you think, I know, right? <laughs> just, I know. Just crap. I know. All right. So if you start to think about how you respond when the tantrum starts, chances are he's beginning to get your attention. And, and this is probably, and I know that it's a hard thing to wrap our heads around. My husband is still really funny about it where he's like, why would they want attention for me? And I'm like, because it is, it, we're giving them that response. So he still argues with me on this. We right. have four. So it's taken him 10 years <laughs> and I'm just now getting to the point where he is like, okay, I think you're right. <laughs> so, so what's the opposite of that? So the is opposite, that ignore yeah. them? No, well, yes, yes and. So the opposite is really to identify the behavior that you want to see and really give them the attention for that. Oh, I love the way, Ben, that you were able to sit there and that you were able to follow directions and that you were able to do whatever you guys had set out. So to be able to do that, you have to have really clear expectations on the front end. So one of the things that I love to do is leaving the park, leaving a birthday party is like a really classic example of a time where kids are all... taking TV away, right? right. So taking All transitions. The, the transitions are really, really difficult, especially when it's a transition from a preferred activity, like yeah. watching television to right. a non-preferred, right. Right? right? So in those moments, what we love to do is really set the expectation. But one of the things that we do I, as parents, I don't know why we are, we do this, but we end up saying, okay, we're going to turn off the television and we're going to go take a bath. Like, that's super exciting, right? Right? Or, okay, we're going to quit playing and clean up your toys because (laughs) nobody wants to do that. Totally. So what do we do instead of that? So we need to focus on just ending the activity rather than the transition. So we do set it up in the beginning, right? We know that kids are more contained when they're scheduled. But one of the things that you can do is actually tell them in the beginning, okay, this is how the day is going to go. Here's the schedule for the day. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. It's dinner time, bedtime, you know, bath time, whatever. Mm-hmm. You continue to repeat that, but what we don't do is link the less preferred activity to the, you know, ending the more preferred activity. So we don't link, hey, iPad time is done. It's now bedtime, right? Yeah. Or it's now bath time if it's not more preferred, okay? But what we can do is give them a role in that. So we want to empower them as well all right, it's time to turn off the iPad. I want you to put it away. Thank you for doing it. Oh, thank you so much for doing that and for doing it so nicely. Now you get to pick out your toys for bedtime or now you get to pick out you know, your book or your bath time activity and make it more preferred, like really kind of give it a spin. So I started my career out in PR. So you were, you, you're, looking for that, you're looking for that spin anywhere right. that you can get it. Right. Well, I can't just say to them, you know, look, we got to do this thing that you don't like to do. no to that we don't do that so you can do that and actually that probably works really well with the child that doesn't tantrum right so and this is one of the things that is really tricky about giving advice in sort of a blanket way because each child is going to respond a little bit differently and as parents that's really kind of why you have a parent coach is to say okay this child responds this way what do I do here Mm. do I use that same tactic with this child Mm. so catching them being good and in that positive reinforcement 
is never a bad idea. The question is, is it developmentally appropriate or more appropriate for one child over the other? So this child may need more of a reflection. I can see you getting really frustrated and really upset. So really giving him, even though he's highly verbal, you know, giving him the opportunity and the permission really to express the fact that I'm really frustrated and I'm really angry. And then possibly being able to throw a little bit of a tantrum because sometimes we feel better after we throw a tantrum. But you guys get to set the boundaries around how that tantrum is going to go. You need the opportunity to express yourself. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to put the power back in your court. You're going to take some space from the family right now. I'm going to put you, we use a chair at home. So I, I do use timeouts. I don't use them in a punitive manner, but I do use them with tantrums. So I have a son who's three and for him, what we do is we say, you know, it looks like you could use a little space. And so I'm going to, I'm going to put you in the chair and when you're ready. And when I see these three things from you, when I see calm hands, when I see calm voice, and when I see a calm body, you can come back and join us. And so it's really empowering for him because he knows, but he will even ask at some point, he'll I'll say, it looks like you're starting to get a little frustrated. And he'll go, I need some space. And so, <laughs> but so he, it's become a tool for him that he knows he can use. And so the idea is not necessarily to always give them guardrails, but to give them guardrails and then slowly back those boundaries out and empower them more and more. I have to say something here because Alex has really... Uh, he's afraid of Ben because of these yes. of, of these tantrums. Yes. So, for example, he'll go out, um, they get into the car, and suddenly Ben remembers. Oh, I forgot my, I don't know, list of Taylor Swift songs. Yes, which he has. He has, yeah. of course. So he has a list. I forgot. So and and then like Alex like just don't cry just you know like running back home give you the list and I'm like well, I'm I don't not say like those that. words out loud Let's no just, but right. that's what his Inside, mind goes I'm just, saying oh it my god sure. just uh, okay okay I bring you the he runs back home to give you the list while I'm in in the car and I'm like you know what you can cry now because I'm not getting you the list yeah. we're already on our way yeah so we, wh what is the the different approach for that sure so in that sense I would probably use something like redirection where you say oh my goodness that list was so good what were some of the songs on that list can can we do this you know can we go ahead and create the list and it may or may not work mm -hmm. and if it doesn't then you say you can you do set the expectation we will get the list we have three more stops to make but what I can do is we can see if we can find those songs I can see if I have the list on my phone okay. I can tell you what the list is so we so can cooperate with, uh, yeah. with that need because I don't I don't do that well it's not so much cooperation it's more giving him some tools that he can start thinking through so he's fixated on that list right, right. but maybe we can guide him in another way to think about other things that he can do so and this is a lot of kids will fall apart because they think about having to have one specific item or one specific thing done a very specific way and we want to help them create a little bit of flexibility and a little bit of critical thinking so a little you know problem solving so we help them with problem solving skills so it's either redirection or kind of kind of that creative problem solving. So what can we do if we don't have the list? And that's really mm -hmm. something that you do. I mean, even adults sometimes need yeah. facilitation in that, right? Like we just get in that moment where we think, oh my goodness, I don't have this, I'm done. And then right. it's like, okay, wait, actually, is there something else that I can bring in and present? Is there you know, something? Right. Interesting. So we just sort of walk them through that and give them some other options. When he starts to ramp up, my mind fails me. So the 
all of your delightful little ideas that you've just described are great. They're all right, except when the brain doesn't function, it doesn't really matter. And I'm not kidding when I tell you that when he starts to do the little flash dance thing with his feet where he's stamping mm -hmm. and, you know, you start to see the body language heading in that direction, I freak. I mean, my 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 brain turns entirely to brain stem, and I'm just thinking about, oh my God, make this stop before the shit hits the fan, and I don't know what to do about it. No, absolutely. That I hear this all the time from parents, and we do talk a lot about stress relief, and you hear a lot of these really beautiful things about being present in the moment, and you know, and I don't want to be present in that moment. No, you want to be gone, <laughs> and you're done, and you're in survival. You like you said, yeah, your yeah. your lizard brain, yeah. you kick into survival Total lizard mode, brain. right? Yeah. So, okay, when that happens, there's always a period of reparation, right? So there's always this period of going back and saying, hey, I shouldn't have responded that way. And, and now this, I will say, is a cultural thing for some families. Some families believe they should not apologize to their children. I really like for kids to see resolution and to see them, you know, see parents say, like, I made a mistake there and I yeah. shouldn't have done that. And then kind of talk to them about what the process was like and what they can do better and what you can do better, right? right. So next time, daddy's going to try not to yell, and I'm really going to try to listen to you more. Would that be helpful for you? So again, we're, we're going back to giving them a little bit of control over the moment because what they're looking for, they're communicating in some way. As a behaviorist, when we think about the behavior, what we're wondering is what's the function of that behavior? Is it because there's a feeling that he can't communicate. You'll hear that all the time, right? Oh, they're right. a toddler. They're having a tantrum because, you know, they can't communicate. You're saying your kids are highly verbal. So maybe they can, maybe, but maybe they're having difficulty or maybe that's been more effective. My bet I is- I think it's the latter. My bet is that he's learned and he's probably pretty bright and very adaptive. And those are, that's one of those ways that he's sort of learned to get what he wants. So what we try to do is sort of mix it up a little bit and we reset the behavior. Now, I have to warn that when we do kind of identify what the behavior, what the function of that behavior is, why they're doing that behavior to get what they want, when we reset what our reaction is, it tends to get worse before it gets better. There's something we call an extinction burst, right? So they're going to keep upping the ante. And that's the part where parents really have to stay calm and stay yeah. committed to whatever course of action they're going to. And then the other thing is it'll go away for a little bit, but it comes back. So I always have to warn parents there's something called spontaneous recovery where they're like, oh, I remember when like I used to be able to throw that fit in the car <laughs> and get what I wanted. Yeah. And maybe I'll try that, see if that works. So we have to stay really, really consistent in our responses. And usually it is consistency. So there are a few different ways that we can manage it. But the idea is, is there one another way that we can give him to express or to meet the need that he needs? while still setting our expectation. And I, and I know you were saying, do you just give in to it? No, but you do try to give him other tools, right? So we try to give him and then re reinforce those other tools. Now, when that doesn't work, I'm not saying in the moment. So we there's definitely an inflection point, right? Where, like you said, he starts doing the little pedal, he's pedaling his legs yeah. and you know it's, it's game over. That's when I try to give them space because he needs time to sort of come back and, and get calm again. And it sounds like you do too. So space works really well for parents as well as for the kids. And sometimes we need to give our kids that space for us. Like we just need to yeah. take the space. Sometimes we model that where we say, I'm going to take a break right now. You stay here. Right. I'm going to help. Yeah, that's I'll what I'm right doing. Here. Yeah. yeah. The issue with this all is that if we don't practice it, it is really difficult to call on that in the moment because emotionally, like once we're done, you know, once we're over, we've already got like let our emotions get the best of. So we try for both us and the kids to keep us 
in what I say, like in the cognitive. Mm -hmm. So we try to keep ourselves thinking, okay, so what is he telling me? What does he need versus I'm about to lose it. I feel my pulse racing, my chest tightening and I'm, it's coming, you yeah. know? Yeah. One thing that I'm thinking about a lot lately is uh, the, the line between saying no all the time and, um, and spoiling our kids. Mm -hmm. So I feel like if I say yes to everything they want and they get everything, so they end up being spoiled. Um, so I try to say to say no, just for the sake of, you know, you should know that there are kids out there who don't get, you know, every, you know, Ryan's egg. Don't say his name. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, every toy that they don't get everything. And for them, it's some, some sort of a, a well, like it's, it's natural. So oh, I want that. I'll have that. Absolutely. This is something that I actually just had an issue with. I have a six-year-old and we just kind of went through the same thing in a store where she really wanted this thing. And I, we said no, uh, but and it ended up being a very emotional evening for her, mm -hmm. but it is important to say no and to set boundaries. And that doesn't just apply to stuff that we're getting, but it applies to things that they want to do. And sometimes it's just not practical. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we look at is styles of parenting. And we know that if we are able to give brief explanations, but hold firm on our boundaries, that kids actually will learn and they will respect those boundaries. So giving them boundaries is actually a really, really great thing for them. It's a good developmental tool where they do start to understand, okay, maybe I can't have this now, but maybe later. And you said, I think earlier that you like to negotiate. This is actually a great skill to kind of help them negotiate or help them um, again, maybe mm -hmm. problem solve a little bit. You can't have it now, but you can put it on the list for a holiday or a birthday or a mm -hmm. special event, and or you can earn money towards it, you know, okay. and, and start to instill those values. So there are a lot of different ways that we can do it without saying just no outright, but giving them the possibility of it's not going to happen right now, but maybe in the future. One thing I've noticed about no, from me anyway, uh, interestingly, applies just as much to my children as it does to my husband. Not kidding. There are a few categories where my children know so well that the answer will be no in advance um, that there is no problem when I say no because they just understand I won't be movable on that one. Um, and so I have noticed that it's true that there are these categories where that firmness has been in place for so long that there really just isn't an, an issue anymore. Um, but that's a very, very small list compared to all of the options of things that they can want, you know. Right. So. <laughs> no, I, I want to talk a little bit more about the um, spoiling our kids. Sometimes I do feel that I spoil them too much. So what... What is what spoiling it, Yeah, what kids? is it? Well, that's actually what I was going to put to you. So you think that you spoil them. My question is, are you talking materially? Are you talking just with your attention and emotionally? Are you talking about not having great boundaries so they're a little bit bratty about certain activities? So what to you like I, when I you just say feel, spoil? So let me, let me just go a little bit deeper. Right. I'm just afraid that they're going to grow up being not kind human beings because they don't understand that people cannot have it's, it's mostly material okay. things so they but cannot not all, understand but not, but not all but not all i mean i think that jan is right that when we think about spoiled we only think about the future we're saying to ourselves how do we make sure that we end up having kids 
who are kind, who under, have the empathy to understand that other people don't have. I mean, we want them to have, but we want them to understand that there are other people who They're don't. They're not going to be selfish. So, they for example, be, yeah. Won't be so right now, when we like, I, I, I was, I had a call this week, and you know, our kids wanted stuff, and I'm like, do you realize that I'm sick? Like. Can you just stop thinking about what you need for a second and let me just have my rest for like Spo an hour? Spoiler alert, answer is no. <laughs> yeah, so, so I guess that's the more accurate feeling. Like now I feel it's more accurate than spoiling. Like all this, uh, you know, how we want them to be better. That's great. And I think that they are separate but related. And this is why I ask a little bit. So when I start to meet with family is one of the things that we do start talking about or what what is the values that you want to put in place, right? So we all have different means. We all have different ways that we reward or I'll use the word spoil, but dote on our children, right? So sometimes it's by material gifts. And sometimes we'll talk too about you asked if I work with parents. Of course I work with parents because if you think about it, we all have different love languages. And for some people, our love languages are physical, just physical affection, hugging, you know, right. throwing. For others, it's gifting. Mm -hmm. And and so some parents have a really hard time withholding mm -hmm. gifts for their children. So we definitely go through all of these different things. The question is if you want them to be empathic and you want them to be kind, then what you're going to do is focus on those things. You know, if you want them to be grateful for what they have, then you instill things like maybe it's just a family routine where you sit around the table and you talk about something that they did that was kind that day or something that somebody did that was kind for them and how it made them feel. And you share that with them as well. Same thing. It's very similar with like a gratitude journal that the more that we sort of collect these experiences and these moments, the more important and the more weight they carry in our lives, even at four. So we know that that starts really early. I like yeah. that. I guess I, I want to ask if the thing itself of having a lot of material stuff is by itself less desirable. So one of the things that I heard recently that I love, somebody who is very, very, very wise in my life said, if you want to know what you value, ask your children. So what I think is really interesting is that if I asked my children what I value, they would probably say coffee time in the morning, right? <laughs> I mean, that's because that's my time. That's my, right. my stolen moment. And my kids, we talked about being very adaptive. They have each figured out at different points in their toddlerhood that if they wake up early enough, they get to steal that time with me, that they'll come down and they get up before anybody else. Mm -hmm. but, it, but it's true. So if you think about where you put your time and your money, that's truly what you value. So if you are a family that sets up that expectation that things and, you know, the way that we present ourselves and what we have is valuable, then your children are going to pick up on that really, really quickly. So you're saying it's not necessarily the fact of those things. It's the way we associate meaning with those things. Absolutely. And, and also what we – how we talk about those things or how we make meaning of those things. So, for example – Yes, we're really fortunate that we have enough food, but there are not always people. So maybe we could bake cookies and drop them off mm -hmm. at Union, you know, or, or expose them in different ways that show how important it is to take care of other people. We used to be in a culture that was more community-centric, and really mm -hmm. what has changed is we don't really get the full spectrum of community as much as we used to. Right. 
And so there, we as parents have to be really conscientious about how we introduce our children to taking care of other community members. And right. exposure is, is key. And that starts in really small ways in the house. I, I feel that we're running out of time here and I have like tons of uh, subject <laughs> to talk about. Oh, we didn't talk about gay yet. Well, not yet. We always have to talk about gay. Uh, later, later. Okay. Let's talk about lying. So when I first found out that our kids are lying to us, I was in shock. Because I never yeah, lie. He took it really I hard. I took it really, really hard. I thought really it was hard. hysterical. It's amazing how early it happens, yes, too. You're, and I'm you're like, kind of, it blindsides you. And, and it like sends me off like this, like this world of, you know, speculation of why, why did they do that? Am I that scary that they can't tell me the truth? Like, you know, all these sorts of, you know, thoughts. And it's because uh, of who's president of the United States right now. It's obviously <laughs> that's the reason. Oh, okay. That's, um, that's right. <laughs> So is there a way to make them not lying to us? <laughs> oh, I wish I knew. <laughs> so what's really interesting, and again, this goes back to it, kids are so complex. They lie for different reasons. And sometimes a lie isn't really a lie in the way that we think of it, right? So we think of, and, and we actually, even adults, we have categories for lies, right? Mm -hmm. So it's okay to tell a lie if it's a white lie, right? Mm -hmm. If it's going to spare your feelings, but really so that I don't have to put myself in an uncomfortable place, then it's okay to lie. So we actually have, you know, we make it when they're little, very black and white. But if you think about adults, we, t we probably drop lies all the time in the course of a day without even realizing what we're doing. And it's things like omissions, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. lying by omission. Kids are actually pretty brutally honest, and they say some pretty embarrassing things because they're honest. So the question that we go back to, and there's a beautiful piece in the New York Times that Jessica Gross, I think, um, was the reporter on that who did, uh, which is all on why kids tell lies, and especially, like, why our toddlers lie. I highly recommend oh, it if you okay. haven't read it. But part of what she gets into is the research on the fact that sometimes kids are just telling stories. So they're just right. testing out like their kind of realities. And if you think about a lot of what we do, so if you've ever seen your kids playing and sort of acting out something and you're like, where did that come from? Right. Or, yeah, that was yesterday. They're really making sense of their world through their play. And we, we talk all the time about in psychology about play being the work of children. And it really is. Well, truth telling is the work of adults, but they're sort of figuring out their place in the world by telling those lies as well. So the question is, is it that adaptive skill where they're like, hmm, I just ate a cookie and I'm gonna get in trouble and they're trying to avoid getting in trouble or is it the, let's just see how it would be to be a fairy princess for a day or to be, you know, yes, I, you know, I went here and I did this with my friends or are they filling in their blanks? And this is actually what happens often that as parents, we overlook where they will come home and they'll tell us a story about the day and then we'll talk to another parent and they're like, no, <laughs> my child or the teacher and the teacher's like, no, that definitely didn't happen. Right, today. Totally, yeah. And what it all is, of that happens. Yes, all of it happens. <laughs> right. So right. there's this kind of, you know, mush pot of, truth, yeah. <laughs> if you will. Um, and so we kind of have to determine, again, where is it coming from and, and where do we try to be a little bit firmer? What we do, though, is we want them to talk to us. Okay, mm -hmm. so this is where if I'm going to focus on anything when it comes to truth telling is that very, very early on children learn whether or not they can come to us. There is a brilliant 60 minute special that Diane Sawyer did on screen time. Mm -hmm. And if you think that 
18 months that children don't realize that you're always on your phone, you need to watch just the first 20 minutes of the special. Because what we see happen in this research that was done in New Jersey is that after just a couple of attempts to get your attention, they stop if you're on your phone. And, and they will sit and they actually become conditioned. So there's a little girl, it's heartbreaking. Her dad, her mom is on the phone and she's given the instruction for 30 seconds not to make eye contact, like not to break contact with the phone. This little girl sees her pick up her phone. She never even goes over. She just goes and sits on the stool and waits for her mom. So the reason that I bring this up is because even with lying and truth telling, and I know this isn't exactly what you're asking, the really important thing is we want them to continue to bring things to us. And yet we tend as parents to say, don't bring these things to us, right? So my brother, very apropos, taught his child that snitches get stitches. And I was like, you cannot tell him that. <laughs> like, you cannot tell him not to bring this to you. Of course, he does do it like a, it is a little over. But, but you know, we do. That we, so we have these terms. I keep telling one of my kids, don't be oh. a narc. Yes, and that's oh, no. the same thing, right? <laughs> but here's the deal. If something in their teen years, and I know that it seems like a stretch at four, but if something in their teen years happens, you want them to be right, a narc, right? right? Yeah, like you want yeah. this to come to them. So it's more kind of figuring out and pondering with them. So one yeah. of the things that I like to do when my kids lie to me <laughs> is wonder aloud, right? Because we usually know, we usually find out. And it's like, you know, I wonder what would have been like if you had done that, or I wonder what would have happened, if, and then kind of get their thought process on that, right. because that will actually guide your response a lot oh, more like than just saying, okay, you lied. Right time out, right? Because right. maybe they lied for a really noble reason, you know? Right. Well, yeah. you know, I, and therefore I'll say, <laughs> I see, I'll say that the lying to avoid uh, repercussions yes. is probably the thing that bothers Jan yeah. the most. Bothers me too. I look at it and I say, well, this makes perfect sense that you'd be lying, you know, because I just you don't blame myself to... when they lie. Like I, I haven't been, you know, open enough and they can't come to me with the truth. So it's always I'll like, let you off the hook on that one because it's universal. So right. if if every child if there were children who lied and children who didn't lie, then yes, maybe we could blame the parents for something. But it is it's I think of it one as a rite of passage, but two not a behavior that you want to continue. So right. again, the idea is to kind of get into their little brains right. as much as we possibly can and see sort of what so I, I mentioned so I've got four children. Right. My oldest, I, I don't know what I have done. She's I don't even want to say this. She's my best work, but only because, and I laugh because I've probably like ruined her because she will come home from school on Wednesdays. They have ice cream and she'll come home and we'll have birthday cake. And she's like, Oh, I can't, I had ice cream today. Right. So she's, she overly, I know. Right. And she overly tells the truth. But my second one is my, my more adaptive one. <laughs> And she will come home and she's just sitting there eating that birthday cake and she's going, yeah, I'm good. But, but it's again, that like sort of lying by omission. Like it doesn't yeah. even dawn on her that she should tell me. I, I like what you were saying about, I like the, I wonder model, yes, right? Yeah. Because it's, it, it's not as confrontational um, and allows, allows you to sort of draw the truth out of them uh, by indicating to them that it's going to be okay for you to tell the truth now. Like, I'm not going to jump on you when you come out with it. And I think that, that that will matter a lot. And everything that we do it needs to be developmentally appropriate. So the reason that I say to wonder with a four-year-old is that, again, the consequence isn't really going to necessarily 
change that behavior, like they may continue to lie. But what we do is then we get into like a shame guilt cycle where they lie, they feel guilty about it. As parents, we may shame them a little bit for doing that. And then they sort of start to withdraw. Now, if an older child lies, then absolutely giving them an appropriate consequence is right. So again, we, you know, we right. do everything within a developmental context and it really has to be age and child appropriate. So, you know, I you know earlier we were talking about, wait, can, do you really still do that with a four-year-old? And it depends on the four-year-old, right? So it, it, that's right. the other thing is as parents, we know our children better than anybody else. So one of the things that we have to look at and think about is what's re- like right and appropriate for my child who I know can do X, Y, and Z, but is also still like relatively age and developmentally appropriate. I want to get something in here. I said right. we have to do the gay. So I want to gay. How do you raise a child who won't end up being a racist, homophobe, bigoted, all those things, all the bad stuff that has to do with um, prejudice without kind of um, being open to the differences that exist uh, between people? How do you start and when do you start? I think you start immediately. So I am a huge fan of bibliotherapy, and I don't know if you guys have – I, one of the books that hit, I hit your children with books. Yes, when they're not absolutely. Properly? Nail them with okay. it. Um, have you read the book Tango Makes Three? Oh. No. Oh my. Okay. Well, I'm going to send it to you. Uh, okay. So we can start really, really young. So Tango was a penguin in the New York Zoo who had a partner, mm-hmm. and they adopted an egg. And so they are the, like, classic gay penguins. Wait, is this the one that's yeah. a true story? This is a true, oh, this story. Is a true story. But they made a beautiful children's book out of it. And so my children grew up with, and Tango makes three. Tango's the baby, actually. I forget who the, the couple penguin, their names. But we start introducing those things and those questions really, really early on. Um, and we do it in a way, again, that's developmentally appropriate because they're not really thinking yet, oh, like you have to have a mommy and a daddy or you have to have like, you know, they're not thinking along the lines of cultural constructs. Mm-hmm. But I would say that exposure is huge. So just exposing them and then also walking them through our thought process. So I will say, given today's current political climate and what's going on, there are a lot of different voices and opinions that are out there, but our opinions really affect the way that our children grow up. So if putting love and openness at the forefront is important, then that's what you do. And and one of the things that I do that we talked about raising empathic kids and really what you know being empathic or empathetic means is raising kids to take perspectives. So even not like vilifying people who hold opinions that are really terrible, Mm -hmm. right? So, because if we think about it, um, I don't know if you guys have followed conversion therapy (laughs) and the person that was in charge of conversion therapy, but it turns out that he himself has a really kind of tragic story in that he was fighting an inner demon and putting that on other people. So even though there was irreparable harm done to a lot of people, as a psychologist, I want to also understand his story so that it doesn't happen and so that we don't completely shun him either or give him a a second chance. So the idea being that, yeah, some people hold these views and yes, they're different for us. We love them for other reasons. And and it kind of depends again on your family values and how you want to take that in. But it's something that we talk about a lot in in our family. Mm -hmm. On the same note, I have... It's, it's it's pride. It's almost pride uh, in June, and um, I think that this year is going to be the first year when the kids will actually understand that there is a pack of 
gay haters in a certain point in Los Angeles that screams with a sign that we're going to go to hell. Now, they're going to ask me, and I dread this conversation, why do they hate us? How do you recommend to approach this? When they face it, actually, they see these people scream at us. Yeah, I dread this too. But I also think it's a good opportunity to, to start these conversations. And sometimes we talk about just the fact that we're different from one another. And if you don't understand somebody, then it can be really, really hard to love them. And so what you do is you just get to know them. And that really is the essence, isn't it? I mean, yeah. the idea is that we're scared of something that's other, whether it be skin color or you know, even gender, right? I mean, yeah. so there are all of these different things, whether it's you know orientation, it's that we don't really have that exposure. And I think you know that is truly, as you start to get to know people, you realize, okay, this person has a really good heart. It doesn't really matter what the external yeah. or the surface is. So that's where I start is, is just at the super basic level. Um, I had a really fantastic supervisor who I always wanted to focus on, you know, whether it was orientation or, you know, that playing out in the world. And she was like, go back to the existential, like go back to like what the basic human needs are. We have to know each other. We have to be in community with one another and we have to love each other. And that's it. One of one of the considerations I've been banging around, you know, since my kids were born, is this question. How much early on can you do the conceptual versus the specific? So in the specific, I can I can nail I shouldn't say nail homosexuality. I can I can nail the question of sexual orientation for my kids so that it's obvious and straightforward. I think I can do it for race. I think I can do it for like various things. But that general idea, which is so abstract that look, people are different and things are different. If I only taught that, I don't think that they would know what it meant. The Those specific examples really matter because you can kind of push that over the finish line and hope that it then kind of coalesces into a broader idea that people are different and it's cool. So which path is going to be more successful early on? Both. So I think you raise a really important point, and I think you do have to give them specifics. Now, whether or not they're going to grasp that immediately. So if you think about, and this is just kind of another really hard topic for kids, grief, for example. So losing somebody. The idea of grief in an afterlife is very conceptual. But the reality of that person no longer being there, and even though we say, like, oh, they're watching over you, right. is tough, right? So we deal with it in two different ways. We're really specific about the experience, and yet we also sort of introduce the conceptual based on our religion or culture or, mm. or our belief system, right? Um, and I think it's the same thing with this. You introduce the conceptual along with the specifics. Now, they might gather like they might hold on to the specifics but as they start to grow that conceptual is going to make more sense to them right so i think we just you know you address things the best way that we can and and we we give them tools for both of those but that is why that i like the books is because you've got a lot of books that do just head on address race and if you think about like reading your favorite books like we sort of learn you know every time we read it we learn something or pick up something else or your favorite movie you kind of see right. something different and it's the same thing with kids they may have been exposed to it before but it just makes it easier as they come into something to maybe pull back that answer 
Dr. Courtney Bolton, thank you so much. Um, do you do coaching through Skype or whatever? I do. So I use Zoom or okay. phone, depending on what anybody, what the needs are. So if you prefer to be face-to-face, -face, we have a secure video connection that we do. Okay. Um, and then also by phone call. Great. Thank you so much. Thank and you, Courtney. Uh, it was thank great. It was really great. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having me. listening to Daddy Square, the Gay Dads podcast. I'm Jan. I'm Alex. And we're back from the interview with Courtney. We couldn't stop talking to her. Yeah, she had a lot of stuff. Yeah, and we also uh, talked to her after the, <clears throat> after the interview for right. about like <laughs> half an hour or so. And she it's, told, it's not like when, you know, you go to your therapist and they say, I'm sorry, we're out of time. Yeah, push she, you out the door. No, she was so nice. And she, uh, by the way, we talked with her about the process, like how she do stuff right. uh, with her with the clients. And w one of the greatest things that she said that she's doing is that, you know, I don't know if you guys have the show, the TV show Super Nanny. I don't in know. America, well, in Israel we do have. I think it's an American I'm show. I'm she, sure we do. She's yeah. like watches the behavior of the kids through the camera, right? And uh, Courtney told us that she does that too. Like you can put your computer. She's observing the kids, right? And she's helping you then dealing with that. I which mean, is so your great. mother, your mother has had access to our nanny cam. Yeah, for but the she last doesn't have years. like 300 degrees. <laughs> degrees, you say bachelor degrees. <laughs> So I asked Ben and Adam, what do we value the most? What do you think they said? Do they understand what value the most means? To <laughs> well, I asked them, no. I asked them, uh, what, what is the most important thing to Abba and Daddy? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, God. Hold on. I want to guess. I actually want to yeah, guess. Yeah, please say. Probably something about them being good, something related to them being good. You're way off. Don't say iPads. I, no. What is the most important thing to Abba and Daddy? I knew the answer. What I was it? Work. Ah, oh, shit. Uh, we value work the most, oh. both you and I, and that's the that's our value. Well, so I, there you go. That's pretty bad. Right. <laughs> what can I say? So uh, three things that we actually took, and at least I took very personally after the interview and immediately implanted, is to re-earn the stuff after they lose it. So what she said is that we want them to demonstrate appropriate behavior yeah, and when they do that, they can re-earn stuff that we took away from them right. as a punishment. Right, and I think it's brilliant because yeah. this is how you actually teach them what to do, not what not to do. Right, right. So I'm all for it. So we we started doing that. Um, also, something that we mentioned, I don't know if uh, re you remember uh, that we when we correspond with the teacher from the email that we received, yeah. I told her that it tends to get worse before it gets better. So this is something Courtney actually told us, and. Um, I think that it's true that once we started like being consistent about the tantrums, it got worse right. for a while. And now it's a little bit better. He can control it. So it's it's been really good. And uh, another thing that I think is one of the keys in this interview is help kids with problem solving, which is also something that I've completely changed in my perception of parenting. Um, I really want to give them the tool of how to, here we have a problem. So if you get upset or something like that, I look at it as if he's now facing a problem. Now, how can I help him to teach him how to solve a right, problem? Right, right. Right. Well, and I think that they're in an age now where that's much more doable than it would have been a year ago. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. agreed. And it's all, you know, I'm, I was editing the, the interview and, and I was thinking, how much do we learn through raising kids, right? It's like all psychology. 
That is good. Dr. Courtney wants to give a free session hour for each one of our listeners. It's going to be it's going to be very busy for her so if you guys want to use that log on to the website uh, that's dr Courtney bolton.com slash daddy dash squared code daddy two all caps all caps yeah God I hope that doesn't matter but yeah, let's just I make it so. all caps. anyway it's going to be on our website as well daddy sqr.com free consultant session with Courtney daddy sqr.com. One of the other things that we talked about earlier on in the interview was about um, the way people whitewash what it is that they're talking about on uh, Instagram and, and social networking in general, the way they the way they present their parenting. And, you know, I have promised on this podcast we will be open and we will be honest. So my wonderful, wonderful husband posts wonderful things on Instagram. I see them all. We try to make the pictures pretty and, and fun. That's true. But sometimes what he posts is about difficulty, is about how hard things are. But even when he posts that stuff, it needs to be posted in a tone that comes from us sort of being past the event already, meaning we're talking about how hard it was 20 minutes ago, but now we're in a good enough mood to be posting about it. And I think that the problem is that it ultimately sets up a, a feeling that this stuff is not as painful as it can actually be and I worry that that is a disservice that we are doing and that everybody is doing not only to the people who are looking at it but to themselves because it it cleans up what is ultimately a truly truly excruciating thing sometimes I understand what you're saying I personally don't think that I uh, that I'm doing a disservice I think that you In opposed to other people who only post good stuff every now and then when I have something to say about it I do write about it right the fact that it's it happened well it's hard for me when I'm dealing with a crisis to actually post on on Instagram that doesn't make sense right to me. but that right? I'm not blaming you I'm saying that's actually kind of part of the point but I do want to tell people that I faced a crisis so I agree there are people who for them everything is always amazing and right. you can look at your in and their Instagram and say oh Oh my God, their life are perfect. For us, you can, if you look in our Instagram, you don't see that our life are Fair perfect. Fair enough. So Fair that's enough. The, the whole idea of it. Anyway, you guys, if you want to say anything about it, it was supposed to be actually a whole episode about the social media, probably next season. Uh, please write to us at hello at daddysqr.com or text us at 213-793-8939. We also take voicemails, which we could use to... to, to You know in the I podcast it. itself it's, it's actually my dream if somebody comment on right? something and on on voicemail we could totally play we it. would love that yes and make sense I mean not uh, not dirty stuff <laughs> well we won't we won't use that on the podcast but it depends on what kind of dirty it is oh my god no no I should not say that <laughs> yes all right so guys we hope you enjoyed it please please use use the code for Courtney it's really it's gonna help you and I think you Give her and, a try. Yeah. And let us know how it worked. And until then, we're going to see you next week. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye-bye.
If you're thinking about having kids, start your search at loveisfamily.com by ORM Fertility. For over 30 years, ORM Fertility has been at the forefront of fertility services, providing personalized care and helping all family types grow. ORM are honored to be a trusted resource for the gay community on their journey to parenthood and are now sharing all they know with you at loveisfamily.com. ORM's expert team gives gay parents-to-be all the information they need and guides them through their unique fertility journey, providing expertise, education, and support every step of the way. Over a thousand gay couples and singles from all over the world have started or grown their family with ORM's support and fertility and financial expertise. Find out more at loveisfamily.com, ORM Fertility's online resource for gay dads and LGBTQ plus family building.